1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective.
0: 2020 on Vision. Well as we do on a Monday, a catch up with the Australian Christian Lobby, setting into focus some of those issues that are on the political agenda from the weekend and into the week ahead. Martin Isles, welcome back to 2020.
1: G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again.
0: Well, Martin, everybody's talking about the by-elections over the weekend, the super Saturday by-elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, no changes. Uh, all of the former members returned, four Labor members in Longman, Braddon, in Fremantle and Perth, and the Centre Alliance, Rebecca Sharkey, in Mayo. Uh, what was your overall impression? Were you expecting change or uh, were you just sort of waiting to see how everything just fell?
1: Well, I think uh, I was waiting to see how everything just fell. Um, it was difficult to know. I mean I think um, Fremantle and Perth and Mayo were pretty clear, uh, but the Longman and Braddon situation didn't seem clear at all. and a lot of people were saying, "Well, you know if you claim you know what's going to go on here, uh, you're lying because because nobody does." but there was there was expectation um, actually that this might be the moment where uh, for the first time in well, nearly 100 years, a sitting government might win a seat off an opposition in a by-election. Um, and that expectation got pretty high uh, towards polling days. So there was a bit of pressure on Malcolm Turnbull... And a bit of pressure to perform, and a bit of pressure on Bill Shorten with leadership rumours about Anthony Albanese uh, wanting to take his spot. And the idea was, well, if he does badly, and if he does get that headline, that's the first in a hundred odd years. Uh, you know, Anthony Albanese might have an opportunity to challenge his leadership. But it was a, it was a clean sweep for Shorten, um, and he got five for five. Um, and so I would say he's well and truly safe um, now. Uh, but you know, it's 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 hard to read the tea leaves other than that, because on the one hand this would have been a you know an unusual thing to happen but on the other hand expectation was high and i just think that the numbers actually are not only um not only average for the government but they're actually very bad i mean you look at longman and there's been a 10% drop in uh, the lnp's primary vote between 2016 and the by election on saturday which is pretty serious stuff i mean that's not just that they didn't win that's a, that's a tanking um, of the LNP in Queensland. Um, and this was against candidates that were carrying the baggage of sitting in Parliament whilst they were ineligible. So I think it's, it's another bad run for Turnbull. He's had a few. Uh, there was a by-election in North Sydney a while back, and he, there was a 13% swing against the government. He didn't do that well in the 2016 election. I, I suspect that um, two things will come out of this, and, and one is that the dissatisfaction within the government uh, with their leader will really grow. And that's already pretty high. So I don't know what that'll mean. But the other thing that will come out of this is that I think that we're starting to realize that Turnbull is a drastically underestimated opposition leader in the fashion that Tony Abbott always was. Always less popular in the polls, and yet just beavers away, pushes his agenda, keeps up the pressure, does what works, and he just keeps on uh, getting wins when it counts.
0: Well in the lead up to these by-elections we were anticipating what might happen with an outcome with the possibility of an early election. Of course now you've got Bill Shorten who's jubilant in having won all of those seats back and uh, Malcolm Turnbull as you say uh, looking a little defeated. Uh, There's even headlines today Martin that say Malcolm Turnbull faces an election wipeout. Uh, If there's a coming federal election after a crash in the primary vote uh, Uh, With those sorts of things, I imagine now we're not looking at any sort of early election because uh, Malcolm Turnbull looks like he'll be into survival mode and hang-on mode. And I'm interested, when you start to say uh, he'll be under pressure from those in his own party, uh, will they be uh, courageous enough to make any sort of challenge? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think, I think you're right in the sense that there's not going to be an early election because Malcolm Turnbull realizes he needs time. But the difficulty for Malcolm Turnbull is that the more time he takes, the more opportunity there is for someone to challenge his leadership. Um, and, uh, I would, I would say to listeners, don't underestimate the, the level of disaffection and dissatisfaction within the government about Malcolm Turnbull's leadership. There's a lot of people who are very, very, very put off by it and are discouraged, just, just, just down, uh, and wondering what their prospects are. But that's the question. Are they going to be brave enough to make the change or should they even make the change? Is that the right thing to do? Do we want to keep challenging leaders every time they start to become unpopular? Is that what politics is now? Uh, it's a really good question. And I honestly, I, I honestly couldn't tell you the answer to that question. Um, because uh, it, it's a difficult one. But uh, I would think right now that there's a reasonable chance that there will be a leadership challenge over Christmas, which they've now dubbed the killing season, because there's been so many leadership spills over the sort of Christmas period or within the months either side of that. So I, I think there's a definite, there's a strong possibility. There's a strong, but as in politics, things change in an instant, as we've just seen over the weekend. You know, the, the whole mood can just shift. Uh, It was Bill Shorten in trouble last week. Malcolm Turnbull in trouble this week. Ultimately, it's hard to know what the future
0: holds. And I imagine that, you know, the Freedom Review is sometime on its way. And, uh, of course, there's all sorts of policies that may need to come in for a re-examination, given uh, the results from those by-elections on the weekend. So whatever happens, there's some significant changes likely to come ahead. And uh, certainly the headlines will be filled with what's happening within changes within government.
1: Yeah, look, that's right. And actually, uh, some of it may depend how um, these changes um, are navigated. Um, I mean, uh, the religious freedom thing is a big one, Uh, whether or not that'll please anybody and whether or not that'll get uh, any kind of headline. I mean, uh, there is those sorts of things. And uh, I mean, coming back from the winter break, there's quite a lot of things on the agenda, a lot of moral policy issues, social policy issues, including the euthanasia bill as well, for the Northern Territory and the ACT to permit, for the federal government to permit those territories to legislate for euthanasia which which the ATP certainly would if that bill was to pass. So there's a number of things that are on the agenda uh, when winter ends on the 13th of August for the for the federal politicians when they come back to parliament. And so if those if those issues are navigated poorly then then, then the likelihood of change only increases.
0: Uh, Martin, let's talk about some of the other issues. At the weekend, The Australian reported some proposed changes to the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency Code of Conduct, uh, all about doctors and free speech. What's the story there?
1: Well, this is, um, this is a subtle thing, but it is very concerning um, for those of us who read these documents and sort of deal with the legal aspects of them. I mean, the The Australian Health um, Practitioners Regulatory Authority, which is the and the Medical Board, which uh, governs sort of the doctors' codes of conduct and 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 do doctors' disciplinary hearings and and hear complaints and 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 also institute sanctions against doctors and things like that. They've got a new uh, proposed code of conduct, which is quite extraordinary, in the sense that it, it it regulates what doctors can say, not just professionally but in their own private lives. It says that if a doctor has an opinion, uh, and that opinion differs from sort of the establishment view on the matter, the medical establishment or the generally accepted view on the matter, they actually have to always qualify that the opinion they're giving is personal and not professional. And they have to do that in their practice, but also it goes as far as to say that it applies to their private lives and online activity, which includes social media use and so on. Now, what that means, of course, is that... Doctors now are able to be complained about and may even receive disciplinary action based on their, their just their conversations and their political opinions and their religious opinions and things like that. Um, so it become makes them a target for activists. Every tweet or Facebook post can be scrutinized and if somebody doesn't like a doctor enough or he's been speaking out a bit too loudly on something that's not politically incorrect, it's very easy for an activist to... Uh, suddenly take that up as a complaint with the medical board. And it's interesting, there's, we've, the, these sorts of cases are classic. It's usually how activists go after people like doctors and lawyers and professionals who have uh, unpopular opinions. There's a case in Canada recently where Trinity Western University was a Christian university with a law school. And the law school was de-accredited by several law societies because the lawyers who went to that law school had to sign up to a Christian code of conduct um, and actually part of the reason, I mean it's an outrageous case, but part of the reason that the Supreme Court of Canada said that the accreditation was okay was on the basis that these law societies had an obligation to uphold the, the positive public perception of the legal profession and they said well if you're christians that have signed up to this christian code of conduct that says you'll only uh, have conduct sexual conduct within the context of christian marriage then that could reduce the public perception of the legal profession and exactly the same words are in this code for doctors in australia it says that everything you do must uphold the public the positive public perception of the medical profession so you see there's all kinds of opportunities all of a sudden to police what doctors do think and say and, um, you know, it was only 24 hours after we made this warning, which sounds alarmist to some, but we made the warning and 24 hours later in the Daily Telegraph yesterday morning, uh, the story broke that Dr. David Van Gen from Toowoomba had, had, has had a complaint leveled against him to uh, the medical board because of two tweets or two retweets that he made online uh one of those tweets was a uh, uh, one of Lyle Shelton's tweets it was a selfie with Dr. Ryan Anderson who came out and spoke about transgenderism and it just it was just a selfie of him with a comment about um pushing uh pushing back on on radical gender theory in schools and uh and he retweeted that and he also retweeted a, a column by miranda divine which said same-sex marriage is exactly where we said it would and it went on to say that you know gender theory is next in school he retweeted those two things he's been reported to the medical board the medical board has written to him saying that he could have engaged in discriminatory conduct and has asked him to explain how his use of twitter promotes the health of the community and advances the health and well-being of individual patients so you see already this um, this this mechanism is open to activists, and if the new code of conduct comes in, someone like Dr Van Gend could be officially sanctioned and punished by the medical board because he has these opinions. We see this a lot in other professions, and it looks like it's coming to the medical profession. So people essentially, you know, they can write to the health minister, they can write to ARPA, the Australian Health Practitioners Regulatory Authority, and they can express their disapproval of this, not encourage them to do so, especially if they if they are health professionals and they are listening to this.
0: And of course, you're talking health professionals, and you mentioned the case in Canada dealing with lawyers, but this sort of code of conduct, could be introduced into almost every avenue of employment. Uh, Is that the likelihood, do you Mm. think? Is that where we're headed with all of these different uh, changes to codes of conduct and then disciplinary measures for people like Dr. David Van Gendt? Is that something we should expect for the future?
1: Look, I think it is something we really need to be very alert to. Um, It certainly has happened uh, in a number of professions. We've had a number of legal cases that we've uh, helped out with through the ACL legal clinic. Uh, and those are the cases where people have, uh, had their professional accreditations challenged or even in one case revoked because of these, these character tests that are in these, uh, in these codes, like a fit and proper person test. You know, are you someone who's a fit and proper person with good character to be holding this position? And they sort of make the, draw the long bow that, oh well, because you have these opinions, which clearly make you uh, you know, a fringe dweller, or make you someone who who has prejudices against LGBTI people, or whatever the politically incorrect view is. Uh, they draw the long bow to say, well, therefore you're probably not a fit and proper person to have this accreditation. And the case I'm thinking of as I'm saying this is someone who was actually a counsellor, um, and had and had their accreditation as a, a family counsellor revoked. Um, now that's hard to do, like it's a long bow to draw when the codes are that general. But if they become as specific as this. With the health practitioner's code that we've just talked about, it's very, very easy. Um, so we mustn't underestimate the desire of certain activists that are out there to want to punish and, and, and silence those who have you know, politically incorrect opinions. Um, and this code and codes like this just make that a lot
0: easier. It will be a matter of watch this space. No doubt there'll be plenty more on that as things begin to develop over the coming months. Uh, let's talk through another issue, uh, Martin. The uh, more liberal abortion legislation is shedding light on uh, what might be happening with uh, with the issue of what we'd understand to be eugenics. Uh, what's what's what is the uh, the latest with some statistics that are coming out of Western Australia and South Australia?
1: Well, this is um, this is research that's uh, just recently been put out, um, and it is around statistics that have been gathered from WA and South Australia. And uh, it's difficult to get these sorts of statistics sometimes, so hence, hence why only a couple of states are actually included uh, in this study. Um, but what it seems to show is that in Australia, um, there is a huge rise in uh, abortions because uh, fetuses have, uh, because unborn children uh, have fetal abnormalities, uh, particularly Down syndrome. Um, And the statistics in Western Australia actually show that 93% of women who are given a diagnosis of fetal Down syndrome actually terminate the pregnancy, actually have an abortion. That's that's very, very high. Um, And in both WA and South Australia, for post-20-week abortions, which is actually an abortion at the stage when the fetus, the unborn child, Feels pain. Um, the the most common reason for those was fetal abnormality. Uh, There's 170 of those in South Australia in 2017, um, and there was 76 um, in, in in WA, which was an increase of 145% over the last few years. So it's going up. Um, and and the most common of those abnormalities is always Down syndrome. The narrative is always for 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 um, you know terminal illnesses and things like that. It, it, the stats are showing that it actually isn't. Um, and the reason this is significant is because you've actually got Queensland, for example, right now trying to heavily liberalize their abortion laws and allow, and allow, you know, abortion right up into late term, um, with very, very limited protections and very, very limited uh, restrictions. And what goes on in these cases is that actually what you do is you you've removed the principle of the sanctity of life. And so now you're deciding which lives are more valuable and, and actually the circumstances in which it's okay to take certain lives and not others. And those that are bearing the brunt of this are children with disabilities, and particularly Down syndrome children. Actually, some some people will remember last year that Iceland, actually, uh, there was a study in Iceland that showed that no Down syndrome children are being born in Iceland anymore. Uh, they are all being aborted before birth, um, which is a really tragic state of affairs. Uh, where actually because of these highly liberal laws, there are these lives that are now deemed not worth commencing and not worth living. And overwhelmingly they are terminated. And, uh, I think that that is, that is a eugenic direction. It, It is, it is, it is a eugenic impulse, uh, to say that, you know, well, these disability, disabled lives are a burden. So let's prevent them from starting. And I think that's got to be a very, very strong warning to hyper-liberal abortion laws, very radical abortion laws like we have in Victoria, like we will soon have in Queensland. It's, it's a tragedy. And again, um, in Queensland, there is a, an ACL petition that is being fired up, and the idea behind that is that it will be a very, 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 very large petition indeed. Um, and 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 then that will actually put pressure on on the parliamentarian to to see a grassroots swell against the proposal there. So I'd encourage people to keep an eye out for that uh, and sign it because if it is big enough, it can make a difference. And uh, there's there's large at stake.
0: Martin, we often talk about slippery slopes, and you're describing where a slippery slope leads. This idea of mm. eugenics, and uh, to be a little more definitive about that, this is an idea of. Uh, uh, the science of improving a population by controlled breeding, and uh you know, mm. breeding out the undesirable characteristics, breeding in the desirable characteristics, and and uh, that harkens, of course, back to the idea of what Hitler was trying to do uh, back in the Second World War time, and uh, trying to create a perfect race. Uh, that's a sort of <clears throat> a. I know. Is there a is there an alignment? Is there a correlation that you can draw between uh, that's that sort of uh, eugenics that we understand from? 20th century history uh, to something that could be in our future.
1: Well, it's interesting. There's there's that saying that whoever mentions Hitler loses the argument. But, uh, you you know, because it seems so extreme, it seems so crazy. You know, people go, we're never going to do that again. We're never going to go there. You know, we're too good. I think you find German society felt the same way before it happened. It was an incredibly advanced, incredibly technological and incredibly capable society full of civilised people. uh, And yet that's where it ended up. Um, And uh, to be perfectly honest, When this sort of thing really starts, uh, when you do get widespread euthanasia as they have in parts of Europe, and now we have euthanasia legalised in Victoria commencing 2019, and when you do get abortion laws to this extent, and you you get essentially the killing of perfectly viable, pain-capable, nearly fully formed infants in the womb because of their disability status, um, look, if the shoe fits, you've got to go there. And you've got to say, hang on, when this happens throughout history, it leads to very bad places. Uh, you know, we're not saying that it's going to be Hitler, but it's not going to be good um, because it's wrong. Um, and when wrong is done and it's done at large, uh, you can be sure that the direction we end up going in is only bad. And so I think we need to keep sounding the warning on this. It's a difficult road to to tread because uh, large parts of the culture are against us. But, um, you know, there's still plenty of people in Australia who do uh, have who do know the dangers of this. Uh, and we all have a voice. And whenever there's an opportunity to express that voice, we should do it because in the past, certainly in Queensland, it's been successful uh, and it could be again.
0: And, of course, because of our Christian faith, because of the example of Jesus, we recognise that all life is valuable. And, uh, Martin Isles, always so appreciate your insights, keeping us up to date on some of those issues as they're breaking around the nation uh, with regard to uh, some of the ethics the challenges for the future. Let me point people to the website for the Australian Christian Lobby where there are going to be resources and where there are going to be articles about the sorts of things we've been talking about today. You can update your own understanding of where things are at. Go to acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks so much for taking some time to update us again today on 2020.